CNBC is your ticket to Omaha for the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting. Hi. Good to see you. It's good to see Hi. you. How are you? I'm Becky Quick, the co-host of Squawk Box. Join me in May. Warren Buffett meets with shareholders. Their questions, his answers. We'll have all the highlights and the insights from one of the world's best-known investors right here on Squawk Pod. Follow and listen to CNBC Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts, and you won't miss a thing. We're live at the Nasdaq market site on this Friday before Memorial Day weekend. The guys here getting ready behind me. And while they're doing that, here's what's coming up on the show. That's what Carter Worth says is going to happen with one of the auto stocks. He'll tell you which one and how to cash in. Plus, talk about a shocker. Bonds are suddenly surging and it could spell trouble for one sector. Dan Nathan will tell you how to profit. And... You may not need the force to make money on Disney, because Mike's got a way to profit if shares of the Mouse House go up, down, or nowhere at all. He'll break it down. It's time to risk less and make more. The action begins right now. Let's get right to it because bonds are seeing a bit of a breakout. The TLT bond ETF hosting its best week in more than a year, and one of the traders says it could send a key group of stocks crashing. Let's get in the money, and Dan, you are looking at the financials. I don't know if crashing is how I would say, but okay. I think there's some things going on. I mean, obviously, the TLT rose. That means yields came in, and that's the first time that's happened in a couple of weeks. But I think there's some other things going on that's worth paying attention to. Obviously, Deutsche Bank was in the news a lot this week. Its equity is down 36% from its January highs. Its CDS is popping a little bit. We know there's some other things going on there. I think it makes sense to keep an eye on that. The Euro stocks 50 bank index is actually hitting some levels that I think are concerning some technicians. And then the other issue is while we have yields up at 3% from 2% on the 10 year back in September, we also have the 210 spread at a very narrow range or a very narrow level, um, the narrowest of the year. And we know when we think about bank stocks here in the U.S., we know that net in, uh, interest margins are very important to them. So they want that to be a bit wider here. So when I think about the bank underperformance year to date. I think about what's potentially going on in Europe. I think about the summer. I remember some other summers over the last six years where some stuff emanated out of Europe and it did spill over to our uh, U.S. bank stocks. Mm -hmm. And I'll just make one last point about XLF. That's the ETF that tracks the banking sector. Option prices are relatively cheap. Short dated options are implied volatility is about 15 percent down for about 28 percent in February when the XLF was last year. We have a 20 year chart really quickly. Just look at this thing. It kind of topped out recently. It's down about 8.5% from its 52-week highs, which were just shy of its basic all-time highs from back before um, the financial crisis in 2008. So to me, I think this sets up as a pretty decent trade on the short side. Maybe if you're long bank stocks, it could be a pretty reasonable hedge here. So I want to look at the XLF. I want to look out to September expiration here. That should catch a lot. I know it's going to catch all of these stocks earnings. Today, when the uh, ETF was trading 27.80, you could buy the September 28 24 put spread paying 90 cents for that that is your max risk it breaks even down at 2710 you can make up to 310 between 2710 and 24 max gain uh, below 24 and then I just want to kind of show you one quick chart here you're risking three and a half percent that basically have three months of this exposure down to a level if you look at the one-year chart 27 I'll let Carter tell you what that is looks like a breakdown level and 24 on the downside would just be round tripping that move since mid-September you agree with right. that in terms of well, level? Sure, and, and if we keep that chart up, I mean, you can draw the head and shoulders top there as clearly as you could draw any formation, meaning, one, we know it's a, a topping out formation, but two, we know that it's not just banks. We need 
big property casualty stocks are acting poor, like Peru and Met. We know that Unum and Lincoln. We know that um, certain uh, asset managers like Invesco, AMP, and so forth. So it's it's banks, but it's also other interest rate sensitive stocks. And then there's this, and this gets to an important thing about small cap. The weighting in the Russell 2000 financials is about 18 plus percent, whereas in the S&P it's only 14 half. So some of the outperformance in regional banks, which have been very, very good, now has to be called into question if indeed this presumptive rate move higher is still not going to happen. Mike, do you like this trade that Dan's put on? I yeah, I do like this trade. You know, I think what was interesting this week to me is that we saw exceptionally low volatility. We saw the VIX going down to about 13. And what that tells us is that options are getting a lot cheaper. When we look at put spreads, one of those metrics that we sometimes like to look at is if you're buying a put spread that's close to at the money, if you can buy that for maybe a quarter of the distance between the strikes, which in his $4 put spread case would be a dollar, that's a good bet. But actually, what's really interesting, this is quite a good deal when you look at it, because he's spending only 90 cents. And this thing is actually slightly in the money already by about 25 cents. So when you think about the amount of extrinsic premium you're spending for that spread and getting it all the way till September, it's a pretty cheap way to make a bearish bet on the financials here, I think, right now. Yeah, and I just want to make one more point about that put spread, that lower strike down at 24. Some traders would say, well, why are you selling that 22 cent um, put? It's less than 1% of the stock price. To me, that gives me a little flexibility. If I have a move back down to like, let's say below 27, I may cover that 24 and maybe sell a higher strike, maybe sell a 25, something that's got a little more premium to it. So to me, this is just kind of offsetting some decay. If this ETF just kind of hangs out here for the next few weeks. All right, let's shift gears here. Gas prices hitting the highest level in four years ahead of the big holiday weekend, and that could put a hurt on the summer travel season. Phil LeBeau is in Schiller Park, Illinois, with all the details. Hi, Phil. Hi, Melissa. This is the beginning of the holiday rush, and it is going to be a busy weekend, whether you are driving, flying, maybe taking the train. Look at the increase in the number of people who are going away this weekend relative to last year. It's up anywhere between 3 and 4%, depending on the mode of travel. The busiest Labor or Memorial Day weekend since 2005, and the vast majority of people will be driving somewhere. And for those people, they are experiencing higher gas prices. The national average right now, $2.96 a gallon. That's up $0.60 cents compared to a year ago. That's not keeping people from taking a trip of at least 50 miles or more, according to AAA. In terms of people who are flying, it's going to be a busy one in the skies. The airlines are expecting some of the biggest crowds that they've seen for Memorial Day weekend in at least a decade. Take a look at the airline index. While it is down compared to the beginning of the year, it did get a bit of a relief rally today as oil prices fell lower, and that made people move into shares like American, Delta, United. So the bottom line is this, Melissa, have a great Memorial Day weekend. And if you were going somewhere, be a little patient. I was out on these roads earlier. It's crowded. All right, Phil. Thanks so much and have a great weekend to yourself. Phil LeBeau. All right. The Chartmaster says rising gas prices could hurt one automaker in particular. Well, I mean, autos and housing, let's go look at the charts here, have... Uh have been a struggle in terms of the very good performance in the consumer space. But what we know uh, is that higher gas prices don't help ultimately. They don't help things like uh, casual dining, autos, and other things. So I want to start with an ETF, which is very, very good. It's, it's, it's got a cute symbol, cars. But it's got everything in here, from Porsche to Renault to Nissan, GM, Ford, uh, even Tesla, and, and so forth. And you can draw these lines any way you want, but formations matter. And one thing I think we can say is that's a well-defined double bottom in technical parlance. Now, if I bring this forward, 
let's go uh, several different ways. One thing we know is that after the double bottom and the breakout, we had a failed breakout. So to not stick your landing, once you break out, you should hold. We've undercut. Let's look at another way to draw the lines. Not only have we undercut, we've broken the trend, meaning we've been off this line perfectly, 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 and now we've broken. Let's put both lines back in. So we have a failed breakout. We have a break in trend. Now let's draw some lines on the actual formation. I think what you've got here is a minor head and shoulders top. You also have a bit of a sequential twofold. Let's put the trend line back in. This is, nothing's good about this. Um, and Ford Motor, that's what I want to talk about now. Here is the market, and here autos. Now this is the key. Autos have not kept up with the market. Now I'm going to introduce Ford. Look at this. Ford has not kept up with other autos. So this has been a real laggard that then of late is up 14% in the past two months, getting a relief rally. I think the relief rally is probably going to come to an end. And so just as you get these counter trend moves in a big downtrend, I think at this point you're about to get your next sell off, sell off, sell off, sell off, sell off, sell off. Hmm. I don't like Ford. I want to sell it. All right, let's go out to Mike. What's the trade, Mike? Yeah, so, you know, Ford's an interesting case, of course, because it, on a price-earnings basis, the thing looks fairly cheap. But, of course, we have a little bit of a disruption here on the supply side. They're halting production of the F-150, their most profitable vehicle and the most popular vehicle sold in the United States. Also, they have recently focused more on SUVs and trucks. And as gas prices rise, that poses a risk. You know, when you're trying to take a bearish bet on a name like Ford where the multiple is relatively cheap, we know that if you short stocks, you face unlimited risk if they should rise. Of course, the most you can make is if the stock goes down to zero. This being an $11 stock in change and having dollar strikes, the trade I'm looking at was the July 12-11 put spread. When I looked at this, the stock was trading about 11 and a half bucks. So what's interesting here is this put spread is actually in the money. You could buy those 12s for 75 cents, sell the 11s for 25. So net-net, you're spending 50 cents on a $1 wide put spread. You'll notice that if the stock just trades here, we're not going to make anything and we're not going to lose anything. If it goes up, if it really took off for whatever reason, the most you're risking is just that 50 cents. And of course, you can make 50 cents to the downside. So it's sort of an even bet here. You're not facing any decay on a standstill basis. And I think given the fact that this, they actually have some idiosyncratic things going on on the supply side, this is probably a good way to make a, a bearish bet in Ford here if you're inclined to do that. Your take, Dan, on the trade? Um, you know, it's not my cup of tea, uh, but I get what he's doing here. I mean, if the thing just hangs out, you're going to be doing okay, and you have a shot at making about 4% if the stock were to go back to 11, which it was trading a few weeks ago. It really comes down to a matter of conviction. If I said to you, Carter, earnings are going to be at the end of July, and they miss, and your thing plays out, where do you think the stock's going? I mean, we closed today at 11.51. I'd say probably back to 11. 10.50, the low of this if little If you thought it was going back to here, 11, Mike's trade is probably the best way to play it in July. Right. Just keep in mind, on the financial crisis low, this was a $1.38 Ford. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, can I just real quickly, well what, what I would say is if you thought that autos were going to roll over, they were going to miss, and the stock was going to go back to where it was trading just a couple months ago at yeah. 10, I would look out at the August 11.10 put spread. It cost you 20 cents. You're risking 20. The so, break-even's down at 10.80, and you could, if it went back to 10, you could make 80 cents. Yeah, but here's the thing, of course. So if you do that, the stock's got to fall 70 cents. It's only an $11.5 stock. So you're talking about it's got to move 7% Mike, to the downside. Mike, were you watching the his whole presentation to, of charts? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it looked horrible. Those, everything's <laughs> rolling over. 
over. They're breaking lines all, right, all so, over the place. All right, but the difference between your trade and the one I'm talking about is that in your case, something's got to happen, and that something is pretty big. The stock would have to fall 7% in two months just to break even. That's not required with the trade we're talking about here. This is a trade where you're not going to lose any money if nothing happens. You're going to make money if the stock goes well, down, you're which is the bet we're making. you're going to lose money if it making. goes higher. Well, that's, that, isn't that always the case when you short something? All right, we'll leave it there, guys. <laughs> for everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our super cool newsletter. It makes for a great beach read, so don't miss out. Here's what's coming up next. Mike Coe has an interesting way to make money on Disney's solo debut using options. He'll break it down. Plus, calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. Welcome back to Options Action. It is one of the biggest movie releases of the year, the latest Star Wars movie, Solo, debuting this weekend. Julia Borson's in L.A. to tell us how the opening weekend could shape up and what this could mean for Disney. Hi, Julia. Well, Melissa, Lucasfilm Solo was off to a record start for Memorial Day, bringing in over $14 million from Thursday evening previews in the U.S. And internationally, it's brought in about $11.5 million. But the studio says that the film's on track for a four-day domestic gross of between $105 million and $115 million. That's far lower than initial projections. At the upper end of that range, it would put Solo in fifth place for Memorial Day weekend. That dom domestic debut would also be smaller than the opening weekends of the other three Star Wars films that Disney has released so far. This one dampened by the fact that it's the first one that Disney has ever released in the summer rather than in December, which is far less crowded. Now, Solo's going up against Fox's Deadpool, based on a Marvel character. A clash of giants unlikely to happen again, assuming that Disney's pending acquisition of Fox goes through. Plus, there's holdover from another Disney movie, Marvel's record-breaking Avengers Infinity War. Also, it's been just five months since the last Star Wars film, and this is part of the larger anthology rather than continuing the core Star Wars story. Still, Disney's $4 billion acquisition of Lucasfilm has paid off handsomely. Disney's first three Lucasfilm releases have together grossed $4.3 billion worldwide. And going into Solo's release this weekend, Disney has already sold more than a third of all U.S. ticket sales this year. That's thanks to two Marvel movies and $100 million in ticket sales from The Last Jedi, which was released in December. Melissa, back over to you. Julia, thank you. Julia Borson in Los Angeles. Let's take a look at how some of the past Star Wars releases have impacted Disney shares. The Force Awakens aside, the last two releases, Rogue One and The Last Jedi, have helped the stock rally. But with Disney shares lagging ahead of Solo's release, will a three-peat rally happen for the House of the Mouse? Well, Mike, you're trading Disney for us, so what's your take? Yeah, so of course, you know, we, it's really two things we have to think about with Disney. One is how the movie business is doing, and of course, how is ESPN doing? How are they being impacted by things like cord cutting? I am, you know, modestly bullish, actually, in Disney here. The stock is actually trading at historically cheap multiples. I think this is probably going to be a success at the box office. They're great at merchandising. And I think this is one of those situations where we can make a modestly bullish bet that has a high probability of success. Specifically, I was looking at selling the June 103 puts. Now, when I was looking at that the stock was just under 103, so it was slightly in the money. I could collect $1.70 for that. That expires in just 21 days. So give that a little bit of thought for a second. You're collecting almost 1.7% of the stock price to sell that put, and you're going to collect that in 21 days. That's a pretty good rate of return if you annualize it. Here's the thing. If the stock 
ends up below that 103 strike price, you're going to end up owning the stock. And I'm comfortable with that, which is the reason I'm looking at this trade, because once that happens, I can then go ahead and start selling upside calls against it if I want to continue to do that. And of course, if I get put the stock and this turns out to be a great success, then, uh, you know, then I have a high probability of success and, and a nice rate of return. Uh, you actually saw Solo, you're a huge Star Wars fan. That aside, though, the other thing that we need to think about for Disney is whether or not they get caught up in some sort of bidding war. Yeah. So, so that's assets. the risk of Mike's trade. I like Mike's trade idea. I think that makes sense. The stock is pretty range bound here. But I think there's a broad. So, so to me, I think that makes sense, especially on a near term basis. I just want to make one more point. You know, you can be bullish on Disney for a whole host of reasons, but this is IP as we talk about. There's going to be more solo movies uh, amongst all these other movies. They're going to uh, licensing. You know, I mean, the list goes on. There's going to be animated things. And sure. really what this is doing is they're pulling off all their stuff off of Netflix in 2019. They're creating a massive universe for all these properties. So to me, um, every one that comes out, it doesn't have to be a billion dollar box off. There's a lot to do. I mean, look, technically, if the chart is a study of price action, the price action is poor, right? There's no way around that. And the stock peaked almost uh, 18 months ago. And if it's going to get better, let's wait for a day or two. Let's wait for a week or two, meaning there's no point in stepping in. So from my point of view, it, it is range-bound, and there's, there's no wisdom in this chart. It just looks as though, hey, it's stuck, and sometimes stocks belong stuck. All right. Up next, we all know Mike Coe is a good-looking man. But he makes some pretty good-looking trades, too, and we'll tell you how he cashed in on Ralph Lauren's big rally this week. Plus, got a burning question from one of our traders, or maybe you're bored, stuck in traffic. Either way, tweet us at Options Action if you're lucky. We might read it later on in the show. Much more Options Action right after this. Time to look back at some of our open trades. Last week, Mike made a bet Ralph Lauren was set to soar on its earnings report, and soar it did. Here's how he cashed in. On Options Action, it's how we afford our designer does. Risk less so we can make more. And that's exactly what Mike did with his bullish bet on Ralph Lauren. Mike thought the retailer was looking tray chic ahead of earnings, but just buying the stock? 100 shares of Ralph Lauren would set him back more than $11,000. So, to spend less, Mike instead bought the June 115 call for 5 bucks. Now, in order to make money, Mike needs the shares of Ralph Lauren to rise above that strike by more than the cost of the trade, or in this case, above $120 by June expiration. But spending 5 bucks just to bet on Ralph Lauren? So, to cut costs, Mike then sold the June 125 call for $1.50 and reduced the cost of his trade to just $3.50. Now, to profit on this trade, Mike needs Ralph Lauren to rise above the strike that he bought by more than the $3.50 he spent on the trade, or above $118.50 by June expiration. But this is a show about risking less and making more. And Mike's style is known to be rather avant-garde. So to cut his cost down even more, Mike then sold the June 105 put for $1.50 and created his call spread risk reversal. By doing that, he did something that even the most fashion-forward icons can't do. He made making money even easier. Here's what we mean. Between the five bucks he spent on buying that 115 call and the $1.50 he collected by selling the 125 call and the $1.50 he collected by selling that 105 put, Mike cut the total cost of his trade down to just $2. Now to make money, Mike just needs Ralph Lauren shares to rise above the $115 strike by the two bucks he spent on the trade, or above $117 by June expiration. 
But of course, with every fashion risk, there's a trade-off. And by selling that put, Mike's now obligated to buy Ralph Lauren shares at that strike price, even if it falls well below that level. But since the time of the trade, shares have rallied 16%, meaning Mike's trade is looking runway ready. And now, options fashionistas all over the world just want to know one thing. What will Mike wear, uh, I mean, do now? Okay, Mike, how are you trading Ralph Lauren now? Well, this trade, the most it can be worth is 10 bucks. It's worth about $9 now, so we definitely want to take the money and run. I want to make a very quick point, though. Had you just simply bought those 115 calls, they would have cost you 5 bucks, and they'd be worth about 22 now, a little over four times. We spent two, this thing is now worth nine, a little over four times. So we increased our probability of success and still got a rate of return that would have been comparable to buying those calls outright if that was the trade we had done. You were looking good on that catwalk, Mike. Up next, your tweets and the final call from the options bids. Time to take your tweets. Our first tweet is from Darsh, who asks, how do you decide the strike price? What factors do you consider? Professor Mike. If you're looking to buy options, you want to buy them pretty close to at the money. And if you're looking to sell them, you want to get as far away from the money as you can, but still collect at least 12% annualized in terms of premium is what I look at. Next week from the retail trader who asked, beach or pool this weekend, Carter? <laughs> I, I have a pool at the beach. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Time for the final call, Mike. <laughs> of course he does. Happy Memorial Day, everybody. Dan. Yeah, XLF set put spreads. All right, that does it for us. Happy Memorial Day. Mad Money starts right now. CNBC is your ticket to Omaha for the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting. Hi. Hi. Good to see you. It's good to see you. Hi, how are you? I'm Becky Quick, the co-host of Squawk Box. Join me in May. Warren Buffett meets with shareholders. Their questions, his answers, will have all the highlights and the insights from one of the world's best-known investors right here on Squawk Pod. Follow and listen to CNBC Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts, and you won't miss a thing.